So let's go right in. Let's jump into it as if we are in week number seven in a series called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. What we're doing in this series is we are studying the six major events that the Bible says will take place in the end times surrounding the second coming of Christ. Now, as we have throughout this series so far, let me once again start with the timeline in chronological order. The events are the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and new earth. We've reached the point in our series where today we are going to talk about the event that's called the great white throne judgment. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Let's go ahead and read it together. What we're reading here is Jesus himself gave the apostle John, one of his 12 disciples, a sneak peek into what this event is. is he, he, he got to see it. And so John is recording for us what he saw. So let's go ahead and read the description of it. John writes, starting in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The heaven and the earth fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But what we, what we have before us this morning in this passage, I think, is one of the most serious, sobering, and tragic passages in the entire Bible. What we have before us is the judgment of all non-Christians, all the unsaved who have ever lived in the history of the world. And so what we have here is the last courtrooms, courtroom scene that will ever take place. After this, there will never be a trial and God will never again need to act as judge. And this trial is going to be like any other trial in the history of the world. There will be no debate over guilt or innocence. There will be a prosecutor, but no defender. An accuser, but no advocate. There will be an indictment, but no defense mounted by the accused. The convicting evidence will be presented with no rebuttal or cross-examination. There will only be a judge and no jury. And there will be no appeal of the sentence that he pronounces. And all the guilty will be punished eternally with no possibility of parole in a prison, in a prison from which there will be no escape. This is a very sobering passage of Scripture. And I want you to understand it. it's very straightforward and to the point. You know, a lot of times in the book of Revelation, you have this imagery that kind of means something else or these examples to describe something. This is not one of these times. This is a straightforward description of this event called the Great White Throne 
judgment. You know, ever since the beginning of the world, Satan has attempted to deceive people about the reality of a coming judgment. And he's done his best to convince people that there's not going to be a final judgment. I mean, Satan has deceived sinners and people into believing that they can kind of just live however they want to live without ultimate accountability or future punishment. And he has deceived people by sowing false religions and false false philosophies into the fabric of this world. You say, well, what has the Satan deceived people? Well, how has he deceived them? Well, he has told them things, things like there's no God, heaven, hell, or eternity. Things like there's only a heaven but no hell. It's one of the truths that he tries to sow, or one of the lies he tries to sow. He tries to sow things like you can earn your salvation through your good works. I mean, if you just do a little more good than bad, then you're going to be okay on your day of judgment. Things like, well, Jesus really isn't necessary. Things like there are many ways to get to heaven. That, or maybe the lie that he likes to sow with people is everybody goes to heaven no matter what. I mean, God would never judge anyone and send them to hell for all of eternity. Can I tell you, all those things are lies, lies, lies of Satan. Scripture teaches us that the God we serve indeed is a loving, merciful, and gracious God, but it also teaches us that he is an absolute, holy, righteous, and just God as well. Therefore, he is the supreme judge of the universe that will indeed one day judge every single person who ever lived. Scripture teaches us that he saves people who have accepted Jesus, but it also teaches us that he damns people to hell who have rejected Jesus. The great white throne judgment teaches us those sobering realities. Those who reject God's grace and mercy in this life will inevitably face his justice in the life to come. And unrepentant sinners will experience God's justice at the great white throne judgment. You know, one of the things that I said in the beginning of this series is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to study end-time events is because it teaches you the gospel. How many know there's a lot of false gospels being taught out in the world? Things that the Bible does not teach about how you get right with God. Things that the Bible does not teach about how you get to heaven. This is why it's so important to study end-time events because it teaches you. It cements what the gospel really is and so you know it. Now, to better help you understand this event, called the Great White Throne Judgment. I want to break it down into four headings this morning. We're going to look at the scene, the summons, the standard, and the sentence. So those are going to be our four points as we roll through a better study of what we just read. Let's go ahead and start with the scene. I want to talk about the scene before us here. Look at verse 11 once again. It says, Then I saw a great, great white throne and him who was seated on it. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. Before us, if you can envision it, we have a throne. And notice that the throne is called great, not only because of its size, but because there is no greater authority above the one who sits on that throne. So understand, the decisions from this throne are final and authoritative. There is no higher authority that you can appeal to. This is the Supreme Court of all Supreme Courts. Notice it's also called a white throne. 
Not only because of its color, but because the white symbolizes purity and holiness and righteousness and justice. So understand the decisions that will come from this throne are completely and totally pure, righteous, holy, and just 100% of the time. There are no mistakes when it comes to the judgments that will come forth from the judge who sits on this throne. And so all verdicts rendered will always be correct. Well, the question that we need to ask now is, who is it that sits on this throne? Well, I think you know the answer to that. It's God. Look what Psalm 9, chapter 7 tells us. The Lord reigns forever. Watch this. He establishes his throne for, what's the word? Judgment. Judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. You remember I told you the apostle John was given a glimpse into this future event and he gave us a description in revelation well daniel in the old testament jesus allowed him to see this event as well and i want you to see what daniel writes about his description he gives us even more details look at this daniel writes as i looked thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was as white as snow his hair The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. And look at this, just like in Revelation. And the what? Books were opened. It's God who sits on the throne. And he will sit on that throne to judge people. Now, the question we need to kind of deal with here is, well, which member of the Godhead sits on the throne? Remember, God is one God, not multiple gods, one God, but he operates in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all God, right? Say, how can that be? That's why he's God, amen? So the question we need to ask is, is it God the Father sitting on the throne? Is it God the Son, or is it God the Holy Spirit? Well, it's God the Son. It's Jesus who sits on that throne to judge the world. So how do you know that? Well, let me show you some proof. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5. He said this, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Jesus is the one that's going to do the judging. Okay. The apostle Peter tells us the same thing in Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Peter says this, he, talking about Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, talking about God holding sinners accountable for their sin, writes this in verse 16. This will take place on the day. There's a day coming, watch, when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. On that day, there's not going to be any secrets that anybody's going to be able to hold. 
So I want you to understand it's Jesus who is sitting on the great right throne. Now, let me take you back to the next detail that we're talked about that, that explains the scene before us in Revelation 20. Look at the next detail. Uh, let's start back in verse 11 again. It says, once again, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Now look at the next detail. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I want you to understand that's not figurative language. That's literal. That this is not a representation of something else that we have to interpret. This is a straightforward understanding of what John is seeing in this peak of the great white throne judgment. And it's not figurative. What you have to understand is the earth and the heavens as we currently know them will no longer exist at this point in human history. No more planet Earth, no more moon, no more sun, no more Milky Way, no more cosmos. Guess what? It is all gone. And you say, well, what happened to it? Well, the apostle Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says this. Let me start back in verse 3 of of chapter 3 here. And we actually started this series with this verse, if you could remember, seven weeks ago. But look what Peter writes. And let me just work you through this. It says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, talking about the end times, scoffers will come mocking the truth. And following their own desires, they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again. From before the time, from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. So scoffers are going to say Jesus isn't really coming back. That's just the you can't believe that stuff. And look what look what Peter says next. They deliberately forget. That God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. That's talking about when God judged the earth with a flood in the time of Noah. Now watch this. And by the same word, otherwise God said this is going to happen too. The present heavens and earth will be stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. His promise of what? Coming back again. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake because, why? He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. What is God's desire? Oh, his desire that everyone would repent. Why hasn't Jesus come back? Because God wants his desire for everyone possible that, that, to, be, to repent. And it goes on to say here, but not everyone's going to repent, so this is why you've got to be ready. The day of the Lord, talking about the day of judgment, will come as unexpectedly as a thief, as otherwise it's going to happen. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you, should, you should live? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Otherwise, why are you living for this world? You need to be living for the next is what he's saying. Now watch this. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens 
and new earth he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. Why does God destroy this current cosmos, this current? He's because he's going to create a new one. We'll talk about that next week. I want you to understand the scene here at the great white throne judgment. You have Jesus in all his glory sitting on the throne. And the heavens and earth as we know them are no more. They have all passed away. And then in verse 12 of Revelation 20, it says, look at this. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Let me help you understand what great and small means. It means there are no exceptions. There are those there before the throne who were rich in this life and those that were poor. There are those who were rulers standing before Jesus and those who were peasants. There are Republicans, Democrats, and Independents, all of them, all people of all kinds, red, yellow, black, and white. The upper class, the middle class, the lower class, right? Nobody's going to be able to hide. Thousands upon thousands, in fact, 10,000s upon 10,000s of people who have died now standing before the great white and Jesus is seating on it. Get this. And each person there is waiting for their turn to come to stand before King Jesus to be judged. That is an intimidating scene. I remember when I was in Bible college and I had a little bit of a lead foot. Anybody have a lead foot? And I got lots of speeding tickets out in Springfield, Missouri. And so I went to court that day. And right before me, and then the whole room's packed with people waiting their turn. And right before me, they, the judge just let, like, he just yelled at the guy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm next. This is terrible. Can you imagine what this is going to be like? This is going to be absolutely incredible, this, this scene, and very sobering for those that are waiting for their turn to be judged. So that's the scene before you. That leads me to the second headline I want to draw your attention to. Let's call this the summons. Who exactly are the dead standing before the great white throne? Well, it's all those who died in their sins. Those who did not have their sins forgiven through Jesus. We're talking about the unsaved here. So I want you to understand this is primarily a judgment of the unsaved. All the unsaved that ever lived throughout all of human history are now here before Jesus. So this is not the judgment of Christians. The Bible tells us that there's actually two separate future judgment events, one for the Christian and one for the non-Christian. And, and, and so the one for the Christian is called the judgment seat of Christ. And in, in, in that one, the Christian will, will be judged not their judgment will not involve condemnation for sin. That won't be true for the Christian. Why? Because the Christian sins have all been forgiven in Jesus, right? So there is no sin to judge in the case of the Christian. Instead, the Christian's judgment will be about rewards for how they lived for God during their life. And so some of us are going to be rewarded more than others in eternity in God's kingdom, depending on how we live this life. So the Christian's judgment is not about condemnation. It's about rewards. Everybody got that true? The great white throne, on the other hand, will be a judgment for sin. This is a non-Christian's event. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, let's go back there. It says, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Let me help you understand what all this means here. It means... All the non-Christians who ever died throughout all of human history will be bodily resurrected from the grave 
to stand trial before King Jesus. Now the question that we need to ask is, well, where have all these unsaved dead people been up until this point? Hell. That's what's meant by Hades gave up the dead. Hades and hell, it's the same, same word. So let me help you understand the theology of this for a second. When a non-Christian dies in the age that we live in and all the other past ages, their soul goes to hell to await final judgment one day before Jesus. The great white throne event is that day. So you have to understand what we now refer to as hell is a temporary holding place for the unsaved dead until the day of judgment. All those in hell at the great white throne will be bodily resurrected from the grave to be judged at the great white throne judgment. So I want you to understand something, and this just blows some people's minds. It's not just Christians that are one day going to get a new eternal body that will never be able to die again. So will non-Christians. Everyone that ever died or lived will be given a new body that is incapable of ever dying again. So those that died will be raised from the grave. You say, really? Look what it says in Acts chapter 24, verse 15. There will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, both. The Old Testament teaches us the very same thing. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, multitudes who sleep and the dust of the earth will awake. Otherwise, those that are died will be resurrected. Watch this. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So those standing before Jesus at the great throne are doing so in resurrected bodies that will never be able to die again. And it's implied in our text this morning in Revelation 20 that they were resurrected from the grave. We just find that out a little earlier in the chapter. Uh, Let me take you back and just show you this. Uh, you, You see it mentioned, you see it implied during the millennial reign that we studied last week. Remember when we studied that? And, and so let me go back there. Uh, during the millennial reign, it says this, Revelation 20, verse 4 through 5, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Well, when did those people, when were they martyred? During the tribulation. These are Christians that died during the tribulation. It says, how do we know that? Watch this. They had not worshiped the beast, talking about the Antichrist, or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Look what it says, during the millennial reign of Christ. So remember, Jesus comes back to earth. You have the battle of Armageddon, and Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom. When he does that, These people who died during the tribulation that were saved, they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who's the rest of the dead? Those who are now standing before the great white throne. So understand, by the time we get to the great white throne, Christians have already been given their new bodies. They've already been judged. They've already received their reward, eternal rewards. They're with Jesus for all of eternity. How many are thankful for that? The only ones left to judge is the unsaved. So that's the summoned here at the great white throne judgment. Now that leads me to headline number three I want you to see. Let's call it the standard Let's call this the standard. Verse 12, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Now watch this. 
and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, how many of you were here back in the summer when we did the book series? You'll kind of remember this. We, we use this passage of scripture really kind of as a, as a base for that whole series we did on the books. But what you have here at the Great White Throne is two different types of books. When it says the books were opened, that's referring to books that have recorded how people live their life. This is, this is a sobering reality for all of us. And I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but you just got to trust me on this. The Bible teaches us that everything we do during our life is being written down in heaven. Every deed that we have done is being written down. Every word that we have spoken, written down. Every thought that we have formed, written down. Every intent of our heart is being written down. Our entire life is being recorded in a book in heaven, and it's going to be reviewed. You thought the NFL was responsible for instant replay. Listen, folks, nothing new under the sun. God has been doing instant replay ever since the beginning of time. There is a book in heaven with each person's name written on it, and each person's book will be opened on their day of judgment to be read in front of King Jesus. So understand, a Christian's eternal rewards at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be based on how they live their life, what's in their particular book. A non-Christian's judgment at the great white throne will be based on their, how their book reads as well. And the books at the great white throne judgment are going to establish beyond a shadow of a doubt an important truth. Here's what it's going to establish. That these people standing at the great white throne judgment are guilty as charged of being sinners. And nobody's going to be able to deny the evidence. Isn't it true where we got these minds that forget? And we all grade ourselves on a curve, right? We all think we're a little better at times than we really are. Amen to that? Okay. Anybody seen that? Uh, there's a really cute commercial out right now, Progressive Insurance. And the husband and wife are on a camping trip. And he's like, honey, did you, did you pack the life jackets? And she said, no, you said you were going to pack them. And he says, no, you're... And then he throws the challenge flag like in the NFL football game. And the guy comes out with this, this replay screen. And they both look and they find out the husband was wrong. And, and one of them says, oh, that's unfortunate. You have to, you know, how many know what commercial I'm talking about? Really cute commercial. Nobody's going to be able to deny the fact that they indeed were... A sinner, and you're going to be able to see your sin from an eternal perspective. In light of eternity, in light of the gospel, in light of what God did, and you're going to be able to see how your sin affected you and other people from a whole new perspective. You're going to be able to see it from, ten, from, from up high, right? Now, I want you to notice there is another book that's mentioned at the great white throne. We're told, look at this, another book was opened, which is the book of life. Well, what is the book of life? Well, it contains the names of all the people who are citizens in God's kingdom. See, in, in ancient times, every city would have a registry of names kept to identify who their citizens were and who their citizens weren't. And so if your name was found in the registry, you were in. If your name was not found in the registry, you were out. 
The book of life tells us who will spend eternity with God in his kingdom and who will not. And look what we're told down in verse 15. Anyone. Everybody say anyone. anyone. Say it again. Anyone. I do that for a reason. That's very important for you to understand. Anyone. There's no exceptions here. Whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, the, the book of life in other parts of the Bible is referred to um, even more described, and it's often called the Lamb's Book of Life. Why? Because it's Jesus' book. It contains the names of all the people who have found forgiveness of sin through faith in him. So I want you to understand, the book of life reveals to us the standard that is necessary to spend eternity with God. Do you know what that standard is? It's perfection. And when they read the book of you, you're gonna, everybody's going to know you weren't even close. <laughs> the standard's perf- perfection. Every single sin has to be accounted for, has to be paid for in order to spend eternity with a holy, just, righteous God. God can't just sweep sin under the carpet and pretend it doesn't exist because he's completely holy and righteous and just. He has to judge. The problem for us as human beings, and the book, the book of you is going to prove it, is that it, sin, we're all sinners, and, and the problem for us as human beings is sin is so expensive that we can't pay for one sin, yet alone all of our sins. And God knew that. So in his grace and his mercy and his amazing love, he came up with a rescue plan for you and me. He sent his one and only son to die on a cross for our sins. He, the innocent blood of Jesus paid the price for our sins, and through faith in him, our sins can be forgiven. It's a gift. It's just something we have to receive. Do you understand? Jesus is the standard you must have in your life to make it to heaven. Please understand, no Jesus in your life, no heaven. If you believe something else, you are believing a lie of the devil. That is not what your Bible teaches. That is not what the cross teaches. No Jesus in your life, no heaven, because you're not going to get there on your own ticket. You're going to get there through the perfect one who is in your life on his record, not your record. To not have Jesus in your life at the great white throne is for you to still be found in your sin. And you will fall short of the standard needed to spend eternity in God's kingdom. This is what Romans chapter 3 is all about. Let me take you there. Look at this. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. You say, what's that saying? The only reason that God gave the Israelites the law was to prove to them that they needed a Messiah. Because here's, the st- here's what the law says. You must keep the law 100% of the time and never miss it. You can't even miss it once if you're going to be right with God. Well, everybody's a sinner. That's a problem. Bingo. God was showing them their need for a savior. That's why he gave them the law. So the law could never save anybody. Now watch this. God has made a way that has nothing to do with following a law because you couldn't keep them anyway. 
You couldn't keep all God's standards. Watch this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Now watch this. And this is true for, what's the word? Everyone. Say it again. Everyone. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious, what's the word? There it is. Standard. That's why you need Jesus. Yet God. So that's the bad news. We all fall short of glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus or Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The book of life is the book that contains all the names of those who have found forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus. Jesus said this after his disciples had come back from doing ministry. Jesus had sent them out two by two to do ministry. He gave them power to do miracles. And they come back all excited. And they're like, hey, Jesus, let me tell you what we did. And look what Jesus said. Look what it says here. Verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, this is what Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I mean, that's not the thing that you should be so joyous about. Here's what you really need to be joyous about. Look at this. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Written where in heaven? In the Lamb's book of life. Do you understand you want your name in that book? This is the most important book in the entire universe. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus says this uh, about the new heaven and new earth that he creates after the, the great white throne judgment. And we'll study it next time. But look what Jesus says. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those. Everybody say, only those. Only those. Say it one more time. Only those. I'm burning this into your brain. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So Jesus is the standard that you must have to get into heaven. Your name must be in his book before you stand before him on judgment day. If not, it will be too late. There's one more heading that I want to draw your attention to. Let's call this the sentence. Since your sins were not paid for before your day of judgment, guess what? They still have to be paid for because God is holy, righteous, and just. And you will pay for your sins if you do not have Jesus pay for them for you. You will pay for your sins. The penalty is to, to, to pay for them by spending eternity apart for God, from God in what the Bible calls the lake of fire. And it's eternal because 
you can't you don't have what it takes to pay for your sins that's why that's why eternal damnation will never ever end and and these people will spend it in the lake of fire look what it says once again in verse 13 revelation 20 uh, verse 20 it says each person was judged according to what they had done the dead that then death and hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the what second death anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire so let me help you understand what's happened here in these last few chapters of revelation according to end time events remember jesus at his second coming revelation 19 he comes back with the church with him right and jesus defeats all his enemies at the battle of armageddon and it's at the battle of armageddon that the lake of fire gets its first eternal residence. The first people move in. Who are they? Look at this. Revelation 19.20. But the beast was captured, talking about the Antichrist, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Now watch this. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So the first residence of the lake of fire is the Antichrist, and the false prophet. If you remember, after that, Jesus set up his millennial kingdom. Do you remember that? And Satan was bound for a thousand of years, and we talked about how wonderful that period of time on earth is going to be, and then Satan was let back out again to deceive the nations, to test the nations, and Jesus puts an end to that revolt, and after the end of that revolt, uh, look what it says here, because it, the lake of fire gets its second set of residents. Look at this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown they will be tormented day and night for what ever and ever. so the devil and his demons are now there at the great white throne judgment the lake of fire is going to get its final residence the lake of fire is the second death anyone whose name is not written in the lamb's book of life is going to be thrown into it do you understand physical death is not the most terrifying death there is i mean none of us none of us want to die i mean we all want to go to heaven but nobody wants to die to get there right but do you understand even jesus says that's not what you need to be afraid of you need to be afraid of the second death jesus talked about in in the in the gospels eternal death is the second death to be thrown into the lake of fire is the most terrifying death there is. That's why it's called the second death. And think about this. It's called the lake of fire for a reason, because there's fire. And Jesus in the Gospels said it would be an unquenchable fire. It means it'll never go out. And it will burn, and it will burn, and it will be burned for all of eternity. And I want you to think about this for a second. All the unsaved will be throw, thrown into it for all of eternity, get this, in resurrected bodies that will burn but never be able to die. As sobering as that is, I don't think that's the worst part of it. The Bible says there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think that's anger at God. I think that's grieving that I missed the opportunity that I had. How could I be so dumb? Listen, the lake of fire is the place a person will spend eternity if they do not find forgiveness of sin through Jesus before their life 
is over and lots of people will find themselves there and that's tragic because listen they didn't want to listen while they were alive they didn't want to believe God's word while they were alive they believed in their pride that they could make it on their own and instead they put their faith in their own philosophies and the philosophies of the world and how tragic is that going to be no wonder people will be in anguish there I mean think about it it's not just about being in hell, but I could have been with an amazing God that's got good store things in store for his people for ages to come. I could have been there. So I want you to think about it this way. Those born once die twice. So what do you mean? Well, if you're born and you die without Jesus, you're going to die twice. But here's the thing. Oh, if you find Jesus in this life... Those that are born twice will only die once. Because remember what Jesus said when he was asked by a religious leader in John chapter 3, how do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? And what did Jesus say? You must be born again. You must have your sins forgiven through me. You must receive me. And then comes that famous verse right after that, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life life you know it those born twice only have to die once listen there's this saying that maybe you have said in in your lifetime or maybe you've heard people say what, what do people in our world say hey listen you only live once so just live do whatever you want to do that is stupid The better philosophy you need to live by is you live on somewhere for eternity. You better be prepared. You're going to live somewhere. Nobody just goes out of existence. The moment that you were born, you became an eternal human being created in the image of God. Guess what? And part of that is living forever and ever and ever. The question is, where are you going to spend it? Close with this scripture verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But, I'm very thankful for that. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand salvation is a gift? It's something you receive. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? It's the most important question in the history of the world. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, it's the most important thing that you can do to be ready for your eternity. If you're here this morning and you have never done that, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to stand or, or, or come forward, but I do want to pray with you right where you are. Maybe you're at home and you have never given your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you as well. So if you're here in this place this morning and you would say, that's me, I've never put my, my faith in Jesus. I, I, I want to. Would you pray with me, Pastor? Would you just slip up your hand real quick and put it down and say, that's me. Remember me in your prayer. See that hand. If you raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're at home and you want, you've put your faith, you want to put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Would you say it from your heart to God's heart? Christians, would you do me the honor of praying with those that are coming to Jesus this morning? Dear God, I come to you today and I thank you that you love me so much that you would send your one and only son 
to die for me. To pay the price for my sin. So that I could be forgiven. I confess that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And be my savior. And be the Lord of my life from this day forward. me to serve you from this day on with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Listen, I want you to understand something. Eternal life that you get when you put your faith in Jesus, eternal life is not just about a destination you go to. We talked about it a lot this morning. That's important. That's a big part of it. Do you understand eternal life is about a personal relationship with God? And when you accept Jesus into your life, that's the beginning of your personal relationship with God. How many are thankful for that? Would you stand with me? I think an appropriate way to end is we've done every, almost every time in this series is as you go through all these end time events, aren't you thankful for Jesus? So would you just lift your hands to the Lord and just give the Lord thanks that he's your Lord and he's your Savior and all that he has done to prepare your eternity. He has done everything to take care of your past. He's got your past under control. He's got your present under control. And he has certainly got your future under control. So I don't know what you're going through in your life, but understand God has a plan for you. And when we study the end time events, we're reminded of that. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Lord, we give you praise and we give you glory for your incredible love that you displayed on that cross for us. And Lord, we can't wait for the day when we will rule and reign with you and be with you in your kingdom forever. Lord, we give you all the glory. We thank you, Jesus. And we all said together, amen, amen. I'm going to ask my prayer partners if they'd come at this time. You're here this morning and you gave your heart to the Jesus for the first time. Come see us. We'd love to pray with you. If you just need prayer for anything in your life, we'll be up here ready to pray. Ask the Lord to work in that area of your life. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.